This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to be today in the book of Ephesians, if you'd like to turn there. We've only been there for 25 weeks, so we're in the book of Ephesians. We're back. The book of Ephesians. So next week will be a full six months in the book of Ephesians. I did some quick math. It was good. Uh, a full six months in the book of Ephesians. And we've actually missed a couple of weeks where we've had some interruptions uh, to the schedule. So we've been in it for a little bit. Um, I'm enjoying it continually. I'm continuing to enjoy it. Um, this study in the book of Ephesians. As you, if you've been here, you understand where we're at in this book. And if you've not been here, that is completely fine. I'm going to give you the brief uh, history of where we are. First three chapters of the book of the Ephesians is all about theology, grace, the Holy Spirit, our seal, our earnest, all of these things that we learned over the first three chapters. And the last three chapters are very practical. How do we now live um, in our world that we live in today? How do we live as a result of who Jesus is? And that's where we've been for the past uh, few weeks, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, we began this kind of relationships. Uh, for two weeks, we talked about the husband and the wife. Uh, convicting to me to study it. Uh, convicting to me to preach it. Um, not easy, but we talked about that first relationship, the husband and the wife. Last week, we, once again, not an easy subject, we talked about children and parents. The responsibility that children have to obey, the responsibility that parents have to love and to nurture and to bring them up. Um, and we spoke about that last week. Um, I was able to use that a few times this week in my, on my daughters. Hey, you remember the sermon last Sunday? Uh, so I was able to use that a little bit this week. That was good. Had to use it this morning, actually. Um, but uh, was able to use that to my advantage a little bit this week as a father. Um, the final portion of the relationships is going to be today. We're going to talk about servants and masters. All of these pictures, these three pictures, uh, Paul says, I'm giving you some pictures of this, some illustrations. These are all illustrations of one major truth. And that is our Heavenly Father, Almighty God, and His relationship to His church, to His people. So I'm going to walk you through some illustrations of what it's supposed to look like. And so that's where we're at. That's where we have been. We, we spoke about in the, the order of the home that the, the husband represents God to his wife. And we spoke last week about how parents represent God to their children. And then we spoke as well as children and, and wives are then to, uh, as the church is to Christ, they're supposed to lovingly submit. Um, and we've spoken about that um, you know, if, you are, if you're wondering where we stand on things like, you know, the order of marriage, to, we did two weeks on it, listen to it, watch it on YouTube, get the podcast, um, Bible speaks clearly, and we, and we spoke lovingly and clearly on that. But that's where we're at. That's where we ended up. That's how we wound up where we are uh, today. Um, today we're talking about servants and masters, and it got me thinking in my study about my best job ever and my worst job ever. How many of you, just start thinking for a minute, 
How many of you, right off the top of your head, you're like, oh, I can tell you what my worst job, I'm not going to ask you to tell me, but I can tell you right now what my worst job ever was. Raise your hand, anybody? Tell me what your worst, okay, good, good, good. We all had a worst job. How many of you say, I know what my best job is? And if you're like bosses in the room here, just make sure you're like, oh, my current one, huh? Um, so outside of, outside of working in uh, full-time ministry, um, I would say that my favorite job, I was in, I didn't even realize how awesome it was until I like grew up. I was only like, 18 years old. I had just moved away. I was in college and I was working to help, um, help you know, provide for myself uh, for my first time away from home in college. And I got lucky and stumbled upon a job at the Sheridan Hotel in downtown Chicago, like right on, like, it's like a block away from like all, everything. I mean, it's, it's right by Navy Pier. It's right by, what is that, uh, Magnificent Mile or whatever right there. It's right there. I was going to be working the front desk, interacting with like all these people. For me, it was perfect. I worked for Chick-fil-A for four years. So I'm like, I'm like a my pleasure person. I was ready. I was ready to go. I knew how to upsell and get that large fry and that large tea instead of the medium. I was ready. Uh, you know, would you like to ups- Would you like to stay in a suite? I was ready for that. I lasted only about three months of that job. It was a long drive from where I was, but I looked back on it. It was it was awesome. Like I got to interact with like basketball players and coaches in that short amount of time. Like a lot of people when they come to Chicago, they're like, oh, we'll stay at the Sheraton. So you got to interact with people. It just didn't work, but it was my it was the best job. Like outside of that, I, I lo- it was awesome, and that was that's my best job. Now worst job, ooh. That's tough. That's a tough. I delivered pizzas for a little bit. That's pretty bad. Your car smells. You burn your own gas. You might get lucky every now and then and have somebody call in a bad order at the end of the night and you get to take home free pizza. Um, I'm not going to say whether or not people ever did that on purpose, but some people used to do that. Have, have their friend call in a bad order, wrong address, and then their friend got to take a pizza home. So anyway, it was terrible. It's horrible. Don't ever do that. But we've all had good jobs and we've all had bad jobs. And can we be honest? A lot of times the, the quality of the job that we were at had a lot to do with who our bosses were. Um, maybe had a lot to do with the work environment that was created. Um, the, the buzzword, you know, currently is the culture that existed within that organization. Um, and so our good jobs, our bad jobs. But at the end of the day, we all, we all have them. And Um, Whether you own your own business today, a small business, you work for yourself, or whether you work in more of a corporate environment, um, many of us, a lot of us, have a a boss. Um, I would venture to say people that work for themselves probably still feel like they have a boss a lot of times. Uh, There's still deadlines. There's still things that have to get done. And so we're going to speak a little bit about what the Bible says about that. Before that, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about this text today. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. If you have your Bibles or an app, uh, feel free to look on, or it's going to be on the screen behind me. Verse 5 says this, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word today. Lead and guide my thoughts. God, I pray that we would leave with a greater understanding of this text, but more than a greater understanding of a text. I pray we would leave here today with a transformed mind, a transformed heart. God, if there be someone here today who stands in need of a Savior, God, I pray that today they would realize that need and they would repent of their sin and they would trust in Jesus and Jesus only. We love you today. We thank you so much for loving us. It's in that precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to jump right in this morning uh, to the first point is this, the explanation of slavery. And I want to say that because the easy way that I could have preached this text is to take it straight to an application of you work at Duke and you have a boss. Or you work at IBM and you have a boss. Or you work somewhere. And I don't want to go straight there because I believe there are some, some wording, some terminology that's used in Scripture uh, that is relevant to where we are today. Uh, let me say this, the word bond servant. Um, the word bond servant, it just, that word servant in general uh, we know that, especially in our modern culture, that has a very negative context. We understand that. Let me say this. We stand boldly against any form of slavery. And by the way, in 2019, their statistics are showing there's more slavery underground going on in today than there ever has been. And it's all a lot of times under the form of, of sexual trafficking, sex trafficking. And young people are... Are, 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 and sometimes not even young people, adults are blackmailed into doing things uh, you know, that they don't really want to do and, and they get into that lifestyle and it becomes a money thing and, and it's, it's horrible. It is no different than what was going on in our country you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Um, but slavery. Paul turns his attention away from the household per se away from moms and dads, away from husbands and wives and, and children. Um, and he focuses on this interaction with masters. Interaction with, with masters. Let me say this, that in our terminology, servant does not equal employee. There's a difference there. Even though if you're an employee, you may think that your boss owns you. It may feel like that sometimes. Um, in a healthy relationship, in a healthy environment, you are not owned by your boss. Uh, in slavery, in, in, in a, ser- a true servant-master relationship, that would be the case. And we don't want to move, I don't want to move too quickly past this and not address the obvious question. Why didn't Paul, in this passage, condemn slavery? Uh, I don't know if you've been around, I'm not a huge apologetics guy. If you, know, if you don't know what that is, that's cool. But I'm not a huge apologetics guy. Like, I'm not a big, I don't necessarily like to get into debates with people that are outside of my faith in an attempt to maybe change their mind. That usually turns into more of an argument. And I, I, it's not my favorite thing to do. However, 
a lot of times Christianity, there, are, there will be accusations thrown like, hey, nowhere in the Bible does it condemn fill in the blank. And slavery is one of them uh, that people often argue. And that's okay. Uh, I, I'll, I'll hear that argument. I'm going to show you at the end where the Bible does address it. But why didn't Paul come out here and say, hey, masters, you do not own anyone else. No one is of greater value than anyone else. We are all level at the foot of the cross. Why didn't Paul come out and just condemn slavery instead of basically saying, hey, servants, here's how you're supposed to act towards your masters. So as we fight human trafficking today, as we still are going through the ripple effects of, uh, of slavery in our own country from many, many years ago, how do we handle this text? What do we make of this passage? The truth is this, that the slavery, the servanthood that Paul was addressing in this text is, is not similar to the slavery and servanthood that we experienced within our country. Um, and I'll explain it. American slavery was primarily racial. Primarily. There are exceptions. But primarily it was racial. And it was lifelong. You were born a slave. And you would die a slave. Um, by the way, one of the most despicable things, if you look back at that, and it boggles my mind that my grandparents were alive when this was still prevalent. In the South, especially. My, my wife's grandparents were alive. They lived in Florida, and like their stories, and it's just like, I, it, it breaks my heart to think that people literally had to use a different door. By the way, that is horrible, despicable. That people, because of the color of their skin, had to use different restrooms and water fountains. And when they walked into a, a facility, when they did start to, to bridge that, it was like, oh, uh, they could sit in the, in the balcony, but not the main floor. You could only use this hallway, this, this area. It's despicable. Sorry, got off on a tangent. I wasn't supposed to go there, but it's all good. Over one-third, the difference was over one-third of the citizenship in a city like Ephesus, which we're speaking of, about one-third of the people would be considered a servant at that time. And unlike modern-day slavery, where you were born a slave, you will uh, die a slave, you were often a slave because of the color of your skin, your race, uh, this slavery model that existed back there was different in that nearly every slave was typically free by age 30. So they would be a slave, and it was almost like a if you look at it like a rite of passage into adulthood or into a different phase of life, this being a servant was like a phase of their life that they would move out of. Uh, it was just a way for them to, to basically pay their dues. Uh, also, slavery back in this time was not just for, for grunt work. There were people who were slaves, technically servants, that were managers, had white-collar jobs, um, and worked those as a servant, in fact, oftentimes it was document, it's documented that some sl servants and slaves would be more educated and intelligent than their masters. Uh, Lionel Casson, in his book, An Everyday Life, I'm sorry, Everyday Life in Ancient Rome, he says this regarding the uniqueness of the slave culture, and I believe it's on the screen for you. There also fell to them much white-collar work, speaking of the servants back in this day. They were clerks, cashiers, bookkeepers of ancient Greece and Rome. 
and they manned not only the lower levels of such work, but the upper as well. Banks were owned by wealthy Greek or Roman families, but the officers who were in charge of them could be slaves or freedmen. So slavery was not just the go out and do the work in the field. Uh, back in this day, uh, slavery was also, a servant would also be an intelligent, educated person who willfully put themselves under this because it was the way of life. It was what they did. It was how they, once again, paid their dues, uh, and especially as a younger person. So does the Bible condemn slavery? Let's be honest. There's slavery throughout the entire Bible. The Old Testament, the children of Israel were in bondage to Egypt. There was slavery throughout. The children of Israel would take over and go in and take over other cities. And sometimes they wouldn't, sometimes they would even do worse than slavery. They would go in and annihilate completely entire cities and wipe them out. So does the Bible condemn? Does the Bible condone slavery? And I'm about to tell you something and you're not going to, I want you to appreciate this and I want you to think on this. And I know this is teachy this morning, but it's okay. The Bible is, is all good. It's good, sufficient. Bear with me. I want to say something this morning, and you need to keep this in your mind for the rest of your life as you read your Bible. Okay? We must understand the difference between historical documentation in Scripture and condoning an act in Scripture. Okay? Let me explain that. Historical documentation. That means there's a set of facts that Paul was speaking about. There's a set of facts that, that, that Moses was writing about. There's a set of facts that David was penning. There's a set of facts. We must understand that not everything that's written in Scripture is God saying, this is what I want you to do. Hey, children of Israel, you know, we want you to go into this, into this city and we want you to kill everybody. And not only do we want you to kill everybody, we want you to destroy all their goods. Don't take anything. Burn it up. Kill them. Annihilate them. That's not condoning us going today. We're in Durham going to Hillsborough and like, hey, the Lord told us. Sorry, guys. Mapping you out, taking you down, wiping you out. See you later. Now, there's a complex argument. There's a lot of things that goes into why did God do that in the Old Testament? Uh, what's, what, what was he thinking? That's not what we're here to discuss today. All we are saying and all I'm trying to get you to understand is historical documentation does not necessarily mean condoning. condoning. Does everybody understand that? If you do not, all right, cool. So historical documentation. In, in fact, there are major portions of the Bible that are historical documentation. Major points of it. Uh, many books are written as historical uh, books, and that's what they are. Not that we can't take that historical documentation and apply it to our lives. We're going to do that a little, in a little bit here in the sermon. But we must understand that some of this book here is written as historical documentation of just what was going on. They walked into a situation, and he documented what was, what was going on. But to, an- to answer the question of does God, does the Bible condemn Slavery, yes, the Bible condemns slavery, and it does in many different passages. I'm going to read you a few of them. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You're to love 
your neighbor. Matthew 7, 12, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, the golden rule, do also to them. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is, this is him quoting the book of Isaiah, because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The gospel, the essence of the gospel is setting a captive free. The essence of grace, the essence of Jesus is taking the bound and the broken and freeing them. That is the essence of who God is in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. That is the essence of the gospel. And to think that God, that the Bible would condone something otherwise is dishonest to the gospel. And so I wanted to address that this morning. Yes, there is historical documentation of things that happened in Scripture. And that's where we are at this point. Basically, where we are at is Paul is saying, listen, this is a social construct that is going on currently. And I'm writing this letter to a church, to churches in the city. Some of you are bondservants. Some of you are masters. I find it ironic. It would lead you to think that they were worshiping in the same church. It would lead you to think that. Just as husbands and wives and children and parents that masters and bond service were worshiping in the same church. Um, so Paul is saying this is a social construct. Construct At this moment in time, Paul is in prison. He's not necessarily fighting against slavery as he is bound in prison and probably about to die in his mind. He's not thinking, oh, I'm going to start my political uh, campaign right now against slavery in this area as I'm in jail and I'm a, I think I'm probably about to die. So you know what? On my parting shot... Let me start this. No, Paul is not. Paul is saying, this is what's going on. This is how you are to walk through it as a Christian. Is that fair enough? Everybody understand where, where we're coming from. So we've kind of explained the issue of slavery a little bit. Once again, not exhaustive. There are still questions. Honestly, there are still questions that I have about some of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, does the Bible condone it? Absolutely not. Does the Bible condemn it? I believe it condemns it multiple times in multiple places. Once again, the very essence of the gospel condemns it. So secondly, I want us to see this and we'll dig in to the text. The exhortation to slaves and to masters. The exhortation that Paul gives to slaves and to masters. I'm going to deal with this very straightforward speaking to uh, slaves or, or servants and, uh, and to, to masters. We obviously in our lives, we may find ourselves in different roles. Honestly, you may find yourself in a different role all at the same time. There are probably se segments of my life where I feel like I'm the leader. And there are segments of my life where I feel like other people are leading me and I am falling under them. I think we all can find ourselves in, in, in both of these categories in some parts of our lives. But I want us to understand this. First of all, slaves or servants uh, should do this. They should live all of their life for Christ. While slaves were to obey their masters, they were to see Christ as their ultimate master. And here's how they do that. Number one, they should work respectfully. They should work Respectfully, Look at verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and 
trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, with fear and trembling, to work respectfully. Paul says that we're to obey their, their bosses with fear and trembling. Probably the same idea uh, earlier or earlier on in chapter 5 as we are to obey out of a fear of the Lord. They were to work seriously and reverently because they were working as unto Christ, respectfully. And this is a little bit of, truthfully, it's a little bit of moral teaching here, and that's okay. The Bible has moral teaching. I'm not a moralistic preacher, but this is somewhat of a moral thing. We ought to be respectful to those who are in authority over us, truthfully, in every and any situation. Speaking here of your work, but a respectful employee, a respectful uh, servant, if you want to look at it that way. We should serve with much respect. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm still a fear and trembling, yes sir, yes ma'am, kind of a person. Please and thank you, common, decent courtesy and respect. In fact, some people get mad at me when they're older than me. And they don't want to be older than me, but they are. And I say something like, you know, yes, ma'am. And they're like, you don't have to say yes, ma'am to me. I'm like, I say yes, ma'am to my daughters. Like, uh, just what I do. But at the end of the day, a respect level that should exist between any type of an employee and an employer, a respect level that should exist between any person that, that you interact with that is seen as an authority in your life, work respectfully. But secondly, work wholeheartedly, not just with respect to that person, with fear and trembling, but wholeheartedly. Look at, look at verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. In sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. By the way, before I used to preach the Bible, uh, I remember pulling... Um, and I used to, I still preach. So I just want to preach the Bible. All right. Before I, before I committed myself to preaching the Bible, I would take a little phrase like doing the will of God from your heart. And I would preach a whole sermon on how you ought to do the will of God from your heart. And I would just talk about everything good. I can think about doing the will of God from my heart with, and I would close and I'd be like, please come forward and pray. And, and anyway, when you preach the Bible, it's a little bit different. You see things in context here, doing the will of God from your heart is in context of masters working for their bosses and giving, every, giving their heart into what they're doing, of giving, putting their whole heart as unto Christ into their job and what they do on a day-to-day basis. Hey, listen, let me say this. If you're working at a place and you can't give yourself 100% to what you're doing for the glory of God, then you need to either fix yourself or fix your environment wholeheartedly we ought to serve the lord at the jobs that we do as a part of our worship monday through saturday or today whenever you go to work it ought to be done wholeheartedly as unto the lord if you can't fully give yourself to what god has called you to do in this season of life then you either need to fix yourself or fix your environment and i don't say that accusatory there are probably some people who probably need to fix the the work environment that they're in and maybe even move on to a different one i don't know I'm not going to stay in a toxic work environment but for, so, but for so long. But whatever it is, if you can't give yourself wholeheartedly to it, then I would suggest finding what it is that God has for you to do in order to put, provide for your family and put food on a table and give yourself wholeheartedly to it. 
I say this, God's called me to pastor. And I'm giving myself wholeheartedly to pastoring. 110%. If God changed my purpose, if God moved me in a different direction, and he said that he wanted me in such and such an industry, well then guess what? I would give 110% wholeheartedly into that which God had called me and pushed me to do. As unto Christ. If you can't give your whole heart, as Scripture says, then you need to change your heart. Ask God to change your heart. Or you need to change your environment. These verses say in sincerity of your heart and doing God's will from your heart. Paul urged these bond servants, these employees, to give it all they had. Working with all your heart. And let me say this. We exemplify Christ. We show the world Christ. And one good way we can do that is at our jobs, giving it 110%. Hey, listen, God has called you in a season of life that you're in with the job that you currently have right now and give it 110%. Not for yourself, not for your family, but for Christ. Listen, at the end of the day, you ought to be able to clock out or you ought to be able to get in your car and leave work and you ought to be able to turn around and look back and say, I did all today for the glory of God. You say, but Josh, I'll push papers. Well then, push the papers for the glory of God. But I'm in a factory and I hardly interact with anybody. Well, be in a factory and hardly interact with anybody, but the people you do interact with, love them and serve them, and work wholeheartedly as unto Christ. As unto Christ. We must understand that what we do for a living is also an act of service and worship to Christ. Hey, listen, if you're just working for Blue Cross right now, I mean, they may be paying you good money, they may be taking care of you, but at the end of the day, guess what? You're working for your Savior. Hey, you may be working right now for... You know, for IBM or for somewhere else, somewhere on Research Triangle Park or something, you may think that's who you're working for. At the end of the day, you're working for Christ. You're working for Him. So work respectfully, with respect, wholeheartedly, but verse 7 tells us to work willingly. Work willingly with good will. That literally means willingly doing service as to the Lord and not to men. This implies Paul saying to serve with a willing spirit and a positive attitude. Let me tell you this. I am not, I currently, there, is no, there are no other employees of this church other than myself, but I will promise you this. If we grow to the spot that we begin hiring people at this church, if you got a bad attitude, you will not last long at all. How many of you understand this? In a church environment, in a work environment, in a marriage, in a dating relationship, when you start to develop a bad spirit about the situation that you are in, it's not long. Something's got to give. It's not long. When you begin to develop a bad spirit, and let me say this in your work, wherever God has called you to serve, wherever God has called you to work, you should work willingly with a willing spirit and with a positive attitude. Literally, it means to work willingly, willfully, 
putting their heart and soul into their work because, once again, we are doing God's will. Guess what? you got to go to work tomorrow, most of you. you got to go to work. So I know some of y'all shaking your hand. I see. I see you. you got to go to work tomorrow. Guess what? You can make up your mind. Are you going to have a good attitude and spirit tomorrow at work? Or are you going to have a sour attitude and spirit tomorrow at work? At the end of the day, you can make, most of the time you make up your mind before you ever leave your house and get in your car. It's all about your attitude and your spirit. Hey, listen, you've got to go to work anyway. You might as well make the most of it. You've got to make money. You've got to put food on the table. You've got to do it. It's just the, the society in which we live. So you might as well just put a, a smile on your face, get rid of the frown, and speak to people and have a good day. Because at the end of the day, you've got to go to work. It just is what it is. Not only that, and verse 8 tells us that we are to work expectantly. We're to work expectantly, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now, understand, I'm not saying that if we, if we go out and we do really good at our job, that God's going to just give us all this money. But there is a principle in Scripture that God takes our spirit and our heart and what we give, and he, he presses it down, he shakes it together, he pours over it, and he gives back to us. He doesn't always do that monetarily. But the principle is here, hey, if we will work hard and we'll give ourselves wholeheartedly in the employer-employee environment that we are in, God will bless that. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe God blesses a hard worker. I believe God blesses an honest worker, a, a, a cheerful worker. I believe God blesses. And I believe the principles are outlined in Scripture numerous times that the Lord will give back. He will give back. No act goes unnoticed with him. No act goes unnoticed with the Lord. And you know what? That used to scare me as a kid. You mean, it's like Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. It's Jesus, amen. Uh, But uh, I used to think, for some reason, he was like a spiritual Santa Claus. And that used to scare me like, oh my goodness, every bad thought, God knows. And I'm like, no, like I know all my bad thoughts and he knows the ones that I've forgotten and oh my goodness. But you know what I also think about? Once again, let's be positive. God also notices every positive thing that you do in your life. Today, you walked in this door, probably, hopefully, you spoke to someone when you walked in. You may have shaken a hand, fist bump, hug, whatever you do, greeted with a holy kiss. I'm not sure what, whatever you want to do. But you know what you, know what you did? You did a good, God took notice. Hey, listen, after the service today, you're going to interact with somebody or you're going to set up a tear down or you're going to be out here talking and that's a good thing. You're going to encourage somebody. You're going to say, hey, I really hope you have a good day today. The Lord knows. And sometimes I think we're so negative on ourselves. But what this is teaching here, hey, we should work expectantly, knowing that, hey, if we give our all, if we work with a positive spirit, we'll work as to Christ. And you know what? The Lord sees. The Lord sees. Thank God that the Lord doesn't just see with my Keystone sticker on the back of my car when I cut someone off in traffic. But thank God the Lord does see 
when I slow down and let someone merge in front of me. Thank God. Now, if I can just get those times where I slow down and let someone merge in front of me to outweigh the times when I cut people off, that'll be good. Um, but, uh, but the Lord sees. Hey, the Lord sees that, that interaction that you had with that, ser- that server, that waiter, that waitress. Hey, the Lord sees that. And in your job, hey, when no one else is looking and the boss has left early and you're just kind of sitting around waiting for it's time to go and you, on your own volition, take initiative and do something that you weren't commanded to do by your boss, the Lord takes notice. The Lord takes notice. And I want to say that maybe this ain't got nothing to do with parenting today, but maybe it's a, it's a principle that we can take into parenting. Hey, take notice. And don't just take notice about all the negatives your kids do. Take notice of the positives. Hey, bosses, if you are a supervisor, any type of a boss, business owner in here today, take notice. And not just of the times when someone's late. Take notice when someone's doing good. Just take notice. It's okay to be positive every now and then. I know I preach and a lot of preaching sounds negative, but it's okay to be positive. So bond servants should work respectfully, wholeheartedly, willingly, and expectantly but masters. Masters should show mutual respect. Verse 9, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Masters should show mutual, mutual respect to do the same things to them. Hey, as a, as a master, as a leader, as a boss, We are to show the same amount of respect and willing service. And we are to show the same things to our employees that we expect them to show to us. Hey, as leaders, you should never expect something from someone else that you're not willing to perform yourself. He is saying, Paul is literally saying here, that you should show them the same amount of respect that you are expecting them to show you. And that's, that's a great word, respect. Listen, as a, if you think you've arrived because you're a leader or you're a master or you're a boss or you're a supervisor, you've got another thing coming. Yeah, you've arrived. You've arrived to a place where you're to show mutual respect to every person that falls under you. Yes, you've arrived to a place that you're supposed to lead with love. You're supposed to lead with, with, with biblical truth. You're to lead showing respect. Masters were commanded here to treat their slaves or their servants as they wanted to be treated with integrity, with respect, with humility, with gentleness, with kindness. They were to treat them as if they were treating Christ. That's the way the masters, Paul was commanding. That's the way they should serve. Masters should show mutual respect, but they should also avoid threatening. Giving up, threatening, our text said. Masters do the same things to them. Giving up, threatening. Giving up, threatening. Avoiding, threatening. This means that you don't always have to motivate people underneath you with fear. If you're a boss, a manager, a supervisor, and your only motivation that you can project to your team is some sort of fear slash guilt motivation, then you are the weakest of leaders. The weakest of leaders. Listen, the number one motivation that we ought to have for anything is love. There ought to be a love. that you. There should be a culture that you create of that. And the least 
motivating is guilt. The least motivating, the very least, should be threats, negativity. Paul says to avoid that, and you can understand, I believe, the danger in a society where technically the master, I mean, the master had full control of that bondservant. It'd be very easy to say, hey, you're going to go do this, and if you don't, let me just tell you what I'll do to you. It'd be very easy. It'd be very easy to do. He says to avoid threatenings. Why? Because we should look back and we should understand that we are to show them mutual respect. We should then look forward, thirdly, to remembering God's impartiality. Look, at, look back at verse 9. It says this, knowing that your own master is also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Hey, listen, you should avoid threatening and be positive because God is impartial. God doesn't see master slave. God doesn't see bond servant master. God doesn't see that. There is no partiality with him. Partiality was a part of the Roman culture, the law, but Paul says that that law doesn't matter because Jesus came to make the ground level. God's impartiality. I hope, I hope this is like an unwritten, but I don't care how far up the pole you go in whatever season of life you are in whatever position of life you are i don't care how far up you go i want you to understand that there is no one that is of less value i hope we understand that i hope you don't pass that homeless beggar on the street and think somehow you are more valuable than that person Hey, I hope as a, as a supervisor, as a manager, as a, as a boss, you don't somehow think that you are more valuable than the people on your team. Listen, these are just, once again, this is Ephesians chapter 6. We're in the third chapter now of Paul saying, this is how you practically live like a Christian. This is how you live like a Christian. Hey, bosses, this is how you lead like a Christian. This is how you do it. You show no impartiality because God is impartial i want to apply this to us i know the time y'all love when i say that i want to apply this this is an application for employers and employees number one i want us to see this work with a gospel focus work with a gospel focus many people see little connection between their job and their faith Okay, some people just, they compartmentalize and they go to work and that's their work life and then they go home and that's their home life and then somewhere over here in the corner is their spiritual life. We must understand that we, our work is as much a part of our spiritual life as coming to church is. We must understand that every part of our lives, if we are a born again believer in Christ, it is spiritual we must understand that. And we get to go tomorrow to work and we get to serve our whoever our supervisor, boss, owner is. We get to serve that person as we serve Christ. We should work through Christ, like Christ, and for Christ. We should work through Christ, like Christ, 
and for Christ. That doesn't mean if your boss tomorrow morning says, I need you to move your office to the other side of the place, and you go, that's why I don't don't work for you. My pastor told me yesterday I work for Christ. Until he tells me, I ain't moving my office nowhere. So this is recorded. It's all good if he hears it. Maybe the Lord will convict him. I used to work with a guy. None of you know him. Just go ahead and say that. Um, I used to work with a guy in ministry. And he, he was getting assigned a different role. And he told the lead pastor, I work for Jesus. I don't work, I don't work for anybody else. I work for Jesus. And my pastor, I'm sorry. That's, oh yeah, my pastor told me that. And he was like, man, I didn't know how to handle that. I'm like, oh, that's real simple. This is how you handle that. Oh, you work for Jesus. Okay, you get paid when? Next Friday, I won't sign your paycheck. We'll wait and see if Jesus comes and signs your paycheck. (laughs) He figured out real quick that Jesus put some people in his life called his boss. And in the ministry, that was his pastor. So don't be using this against, don't don't be putting words in my mouth. We're to work for Christ, I mean through Christ, like Christ, and for Christ. What that means is this. If Reed is my supervisor, I don't look at him as Reed. I look at him as, this is Reed, an imperfect, but an example of God in my life. And how I interact with Reed is a, is a reflection of how I'm interacting with my Heavenly Father. Now, some of us work for bosses that the closest thing they are to God is using his name in vain on a, on a repeated basis. And that's, but you know what? That's not on him. It's on me. It's on me to treat that relationship as such. Hey, I'm working for you, human being with sins and flaws, but I'm working for Christ. I'm working for Christ. We must understand that. The command is to live all of your life for Christ, not to compartmentalize uh, your life into spiritual, secular, family, hobby. It's to understand this is all supposed to be with a gospel focus. So employees work with a gospel focus. Tomorrow, understand you're going to work. Yeah, you're working for whatever, but you're working for Christ. You're working for him. Leaders, employers, lead like Jesus. Lead like Jesus. He was the ultimate servant leader. Philippians chapter two tells us that he came and humbled himself as the perfect sinless God, man, he humbled himself and served. He served. And Ephesians, uh, Philippians 2, 5 says that we should let that mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Hey, lead like Jesus, a servant leader. In fact, Jesus valued his team and his followers, those under him so much that he willingly gave up his life and died on the cross for them. The ultimate servant Lead like Jesus. Lead like Jesus, a a servant leader. In fact, Jesus broke down the cultural hierarchy that seems to still exist in the world today. Jesus is the one who declared that, hey, there is no master or servant. There is no bond or free. We are all one in Christ. And we should lead with the truth in mind that no individual is more or less valuable to God than any other individual. We must understand that. Honestly, today we probably went a little deeper and talked a little bit more about stuff than 
honestly, than I was even intending. The way my study went this week, I began to study simply on an application basis, just shooting straight with you. And the Lord started dealing with my heart on this. Um, and, and I started digging a little bit deeper. And I started searching uh, a little bit more on this. But it's okay. It's okay to look into it a little bit. And it's okay to, to try to figure some more things out every now and then. But there's one thing I want us to take away today if we take nothing else away. And that is because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross, there is no more bond or free. There is no more servant or master. In the eyes of our Savior, in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, we are all equally valuable to Him. In fact, every single one of us is simply a spiritual orphan who's been adopted into the family of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, that's exactly who you were and who you are. We were all orphans spiritually fatherless and we were adopted into the family of God what an awesome what an awesome experience salvation is what an awesome experience it would be for a servant who was under the complete control of a master to be freed as we mentioned in that culture oftentimes around the age of 30 but we have been adopted what an amazing amazing thought that yes Paul was addressing this in this text because it was a part of the social norm at that time and he was addressing how they were supposed to live but listen there will come a day and hopefully we're closer to this day right now uh, in our culture than we than they were back then I'm not sure but there will come a day where there is no more bond servant master there is no more slave and and owner there is no more of that We know there will ultimately come a day when we're all glorified, that we will truly stand before our Lord of Lords and our King of Kings, and there will be no totem pole. There will be no ruling over someone else. There will be no degrading of someone else. Let me ask you this question. Have you been adopted into that family? I like to view this in my personal application. Everything that Paul said to bond servants, I like to, and is, this the, is this the way I'm interacting with my heavenly father? So I ask you, do you know him as your heavenly father? Have you ever been adopted into that family? Listen, he no longer calls you slave. He calls you son. He no longer calls you a servant. He calls you his child. Have you ever been adopted into that family? You say, Josh, what in the world are you talking about? I'm simply saying this. We were all born, and when we were born, we were all born in sin. That's a three-letter word that we all hate. The, the letter I is in the middle of it, and maybe that's, the, maybe that's on purpose in the English language because a lot of times our sin is so self-centered and all about us who were born in sin parents your kids little professionals all right they were born as professional sinners we were good at it but you know at some time at some point in time we have to come to the realization that we've come we've fallen short of the glory of god all have sinned and come short 
There's a standard to which we must live up to in order to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father and to spend eternity with Him in Heaven. That standard is perfection. Good luck. I'm going to leave you with that. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to leave you with that. That standard is perfection. And you know what? Every day we can try. And you know what? Let's, let's be real. Every day we're going to fail. Every day. The standard is perfection. You fall short. But luckily, not luckily, in the providence of Almighty God, redemption's plan fell in motion. And that was that his one and only son, Jesus Christ, would be sent to live on this earth. He didn't come on, on a royal caravan. He came humbly and meekly, and he lived this life. He lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. He never committed a sin. You know that standard that you were supposed to live up to? He lived up to it. He was tempted in every way like you were tempted, yet he did not sin. And Jesus came, and he lived the life that you couldn't live, and he died the death that you deserved to die. He lived your life on a perfect scale. And he died your death. The wages of sin is death. Hey, there's sin, there must be death. Death is required. Sorry. That's just, the, that's just how it is. Somebody's got to die. So the question this morning is, do you want to die and pay for your sin? Or would you like for someone to step in your place and die for you? I think every one of us would say, please step in my place and die for me. Well, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He did. He died on Calvary's cross. It wasn't a, it's not a fairy tale. It really happened. I've got friends of mine in the last two weeks that have been over to the Holy Land, have taken pictures of the place of the skull, Golgotha, where he literally was crucified, taking pictures of the empty tomb where he went for three days and rose again out of the grave in victory. He did that for you. You say, what do, you have to, what do we have to do? The Bible says over and over again, we have to do two things. We have to repent and we have to believe. We have to repent and believe. That word repent is simply this, a change of mind and a change of action. We must come to a point where we understand that we are wrong. And Jesus is right. We are imperfect, and he is perfect. We are unable, but he is able. We must come to that realization. That as good as I think I am, and as much as my goods outweigh my bads, I fall short. We must repent of our sin. Repent of our way. Repent of our thought process. Repent of our logic. Repent of our reasoning. And say, by grace, through faith, I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place. He was buried and he rose again in victory for me. For me. Has there been a time in your life where you have made that decree? Repenting of your sin and believing on the name of of Jesus Christ. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.